Good navy is not a provocation to war. It is the surest guarantee of peace. Theodore Roosevelt You want to fight? We'll give you a fight. Welcome to Fightcast. Hello, everybody in the Fightcast flotilla, I believe. <laughs> flotilla, that's a group of ships, right? It is. All right, good. I'm all, all as long as I'm good on the terminology as we go on here, because the terminology really is everything. Hello, everybody. Uh, thank you very much for bearing with us with our scheduling and everything else that's been going on here. I hope everything's been going well with you in this great fight that is life. Now, um, no, it's true. It's true. I think there's there's a little bit of truth to that. Um, today, I kind of want to... Oh, by the way, say hi, Kirsten. Hello. Terribly sorry. Of course, the uh, fantastic and um, cerebrally gifted Kirsten Wade is here with me. Yeah. It's true. I get by. It's true. No, it's true. Um, I'm here with a little bit of a different subject. Uh, I'm sticking in the vein of World War II. We've been there a little bit with Jack Churchill and then with some of the female... um, It's a little hard to avoid, honestly. It is. It's kind of the elephant in the room. (laughs) If you're talking about military history, it's just, it's there. And And it's it's got some of the weirdest stuff, I think. I... Where we were with technology, where we wanted to go with technology, and in what time frame, I think lent to some really fantastically interesting weapons and concepts and ways that people fought. So Absolutely. That's probably why it's gonna come up a lot. War, I like war tends to war tends to do that with innovation. It's like gasoline on the fire of innovation, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So what are we talking about today? We're talking about the twentieth century equivalent of the armored knight. At least, the, the, as far as the concept goes, or, you know, so, going back as far as people could build ships, um, they became important when human beings fought each other. I, I think, arguably, if you were a human being in charge of a boat that could car- simply carry fighting people, mm-hmm. you had a very strong edge in warfare. And yeah. if you could navigate bodies of water, which... Not the easiest thing to do, even in peaceful situations. And then, and then, you put weapons on the boats, and then you know you get you get you get these sails, and then you get um, rowers and sails, you know. And then Vikings. All of a sudden, you have Vikings. It's it, 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 it's crazy because um, I, I remember this quote from World War Z. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Of course, I need to do World War Z episode. By the way, let's file that away for the future. But um, there's a Chinese admiral uh, of a nuclear submarine, and 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 he's talking in this chapter. By the way, it's split up into many different chapters of people who have different experiences and stuff. So this Chinese admiral is talking about um, how an arm a navy differs fundamentally from an army, and that is that. If you can gather any group of people together, put them in similar clothing or a similar patch, uh, give them what passes for a weapon in a few hours training, you have an army. It's not the best army, but you have an army. As long as you have a group of people who loosely feel like they can work together Uh to achieve a common goal, you have an army. But you can't do that with a navy. 
The Navy work, any Navy requires a significant amount of resources and planning. And as a result, Naval commanders generally are very conservative people in the way that they use their resources. They use their, they think a lot. They are very look before you leap type of people by necessity. Now, by the time you finally have battleships, you have surpassed the point where you, you had, you had ships, you had fighting ships, you had ships of the line, you know, you had, in the age of sail, you had these multi-cannon monstrosities, and then you slap steel on those motherfuckers. <laughs> American Civil War, first battleship encounter, Merrimack and Monitor, I believe. Uh, learned about this in high school. <laughs> um, I think we all had to. Yeah, yeah. Um, but afterwards, you go into World War One. Oh, sorry, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Um, to cut a very long story short, I'm going to be talking about two very influential battleships, two legendary battleships that existed in World War Two. And which ships were they? They were the German battleship Bismarck and the Japanese battleship Yamato. Now, these are both kind of tragic stories, and I, I'm using them as a case study because what I've been kind of building up to here in my long rambling talk here is that they are the last kind of... They're an armored behemoth that was vitally important, or people at least viewed them as vitally important. Whether or not they actually won wars by themselves is another question. But people placed a lot of psychological value into these things. I think that the battleship is the modern equivalent of the armored knight. And when these things went down, they went... It's always a story, right? Mm -hmm. But these two battleships have particularly tragic stories. Because they went down... Say what you will. I mean, we're, we're obviously not commenting on the causes of either the... Germans or the Japanese in this state, in, in, in this case. But um, we can kind of we can kind of lament the fact, in a military history sort of sense, that they went down without ever doing what they were ever intended to do. Um, by this point in history, the battleships have become very much secondary in terms of military importance. They just didn't know it yet. So, um, both these ships were brought down primarily by the combined use of both naval power and a new, new technology, newer even than the battleship, the aircraft. So, uh, we're going to get kind of into that a little bit, but, um, to start with, we have, um, the, on, on, in the German side, we have the Bismarck, um, and little side note for people, those of you who really want me to bring up the Iowa-class battleship from the U.S. Navy, I may have to do another episode on that, but I, it's too much for me to try and bring up here. I had enough of a yes, research load, load as it is. So. Alright. <laughs> so There's we got, way too much information on all of these ships, Oh, honestly, good lord. I, you can go off into the weeds very easily. Very easily. Mm -hmm. And uh, the hard part is there's so many interesting parts about these ships that you just want to talk about them all. Yes. It's hard to pull it into a concise... 
um, podcast yes. just because you want to tell the story of its first battle, but oh man, its second battle was so much greater, and there's this battle that it was technically a part of, even though these other ships were really the ones fighting, and there's so much that these ships do that's interesting yeah. that it's very difficult to not turn every story into a hero story. And this honestly, like you were saying, because they were such a big part of the morale, yeah. They, um, oh yes. They every were, yeah. Every story was turned into a hero story. They were at gigantic because the they needed it. They, they were gigantically important in terms of the national zeitgeist of their, to use a completely German term, for their respective mm-hmm. sides. You know, um, but we're we're, we're going to get to Yamato in part two. But this uh, episode is going to be about Bismarck. Now Bismarck um, was ordered uh, in the nineteen thirties. Uh, early 1930s as uh, I guess the first thing you do when you come to power and you're Adolf Hitler is oh I need some battleships um, so the Bismarck is obviously named for Otto von Bismarck the famous German diplomat uh, who basically ran Europe for most of his life um, Builder was blown in Voss and Hamburg, the keel was laid on 1st July um, 1936 um, the ship was launched on February 14th, 1939, uh, and uh, she went down in uh, tr- May, on May 27th, 1941 in the North Atlantic. Two years. Yeah. She, the thing about the Bismarck is that it's a particularly tragic story because it did, you, you were talking about how this battle could be better than that battle and everything. It never got to battle two. This thing went down after one and a half battles, basically. I, I, I wouldn't call the... I'd call it more of a slaughter, what <laughs> happened, what, how, how it actually happened, but we'll get there. So, um, if it only fought a battle and a half, yeah. then uh, why is the Bismarck one of the more famous ships? I mean, I would say that if someone told me, name one ship from World War Two, and that would be the first thing that I think of. A couple of reasons. First off, she broke records. Um, mm-hmm. This this ship at the time was absolutely massive. Um, the displacement um, standard was 47,000, uh, 41,700 tons, which uh, translates to 41,000 long tons. Um, I do not know what a long ton is, but we'll get there. Um, like and a, then fully loaded for combat operations, weighed forty nine thousand five hundred tons, um, fifty thousand three hundred manual uh, or um, traditional tons. Um, I that, did that not know massive. there were several type of tons, so I'll be honest. I am learning. I something swear to new. God, I used to know what a long ton was. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, but, but by all accounts, this ship was absolutely massive. Um, nobody had seen anything like this. The armaments, for instance, let me just get to the, let me just get to the guns on this ship. This had eight 15 inch, um, naval guns. 15 inch. Fit 15 inch diameter. Uh, by the way, um, when we talk about inches of. Uh, guns on armament. We're not talking about the length, lengthwise. God, there's so many innuendos. Anyway, so we're talking about we're talking about the diameter at the bore. Right. So. So it's still quite large. Yes. These these cannons launched 
objects that were about three and a half tons each. About the weight of a small Volkswagen, you know? Yeah. Or even a small pickup truck. It's And then, of course, you got your different kind of shells. You've got your high explosive. you got your, you know, um, shrapnel, that kind of thing. Um, it had 12 uh, 5.9-inch guns, 16 4.1-inch guns, 16 1.5-inch guns, um, uh, two... Uh, 0.79 inch uh, anti-aircraft guns. Uh, this thing was uh, armed to the teeth. Now Germany at this it, time didn't have much of a navy. No, it was it was it was very ambitious mm-hmm. uh, into becoming a fantastic navy, but they never quite got there. If you'll notice, the Germany never deployed aircraft carriers. They had ideas for them. The Graf Zeppelin, for one, but they never quite got there. Huh. You know, um, the Bismarck and its sister ship, the Prince Eugen, also the uh, s- smaller but still quite deadly battleships Scharnhorst and Gneisenau. They were the. Okay. F- <laughs> Thank you very much. Can do Al- every time. <laughs> Aller- allergies. <laughs> um, but but these ships were going to be the first. They were going to be the tip of the spear in what was to become the Grand Navy of the Third Reich. You know, the thing is that they, they they had to throw this stuff out as fast as they could develop it. They used the U-boats as much as they possibly could mm-hmm. to go after Allied shipping in the in the North uh, Atlantic, and that's what Bismarck's mission was going to be. Um, she was going to be a commerce raider. The idea was that you send the most fearsome battleship as possible into the North Atlantic, and you take out as much shipping as possible, because while the U.S. wasn't involved directly into the war at this point, they were still giving Britain mm-hmm. and Russia a ton of material and yes. financial ex- assistance. And they couldn't get this material assistance any other way than by ship. Um, so th- that was going to be Bismarck's mission, but it never got to do that mission. Uh, so, uh, sorry, uh, to go back on the timeline here, uh, September 1940, um, three weeks after commissioning, Bismarck left Hamburg to begin seal tr- sea trial. Uh, during the intermediate months, she'll go and have refits. Um, the, the first major encounter that Bismarck takes with uh, part in is the Battle of the Denmark Strait in in May 1941. Um, what happened was uh, Bismarck and Prince Eugen, its sister ship, uh, were going to basically go out by themselves uh, through the Denmark Strait into the North Atlantic. Now there were four different um, exit points into the North Atlantic they could have taken. Denmark Strait was one of them, and Look who happened to be on the other side of the Denmark Strait, <laughs> but the HMS Hood and the HMS Prince of Wales. Now, uh, the British had got wind that the Germans were planning to make this kind of move because, again, they just knew. Right. <laughs> because they, they're the best spies ever, um, as we all seen. But um, so uh, they had intelligence, I believe, from a Swedish naval officer in, uh, in, in, in actuality. I need to dig up the specifics on that, but... So the Battle of the Denmark Strait happens in May 1941, it was, and which is the British attempt to 
block the Germans from ever getting into the North Atlantic to raid the commerce shipping in the first place. Mm -hmm. So, um, basically it was four ships that were, that tried to take on the Bismarck and the Prince Eugen from both sides. This was the, uh, Prince of Wales, uh, and the HMS Hood, and then the, uh, pocket battleships, I believe they were, um, Suffolk and Norfolk. Now, the problem was that the situation, the the conditions weren't favoring the British going into this battle. Now, the Germans had what was called the weather gauge, which means that the wind is at your back. You're, you're sailing with the wind behind you, um, which means that you're not getting near as much spray into your gun optics as the British are. So, it, it, Meaning was, that if the guns get wet... They just don't work. Well, yeah. I mean, you get water into the sight apertures, and, you know, it, it's I always harder. I kind of imagined... No, I can't. It's funny, because I always kind of imagined them to be, like, pirate cannons. So, like, the yeah. retractable with the little window you can shut. Uh, that's not how it works. The oh, guns are just oh. always hanging out. I mean, by now, by, the, by this point in battleship sophistication, you have... Uh, remotely rotating turrets that you know are fired electronically from different parts of the ship. Awesome. So you have somebody in like basically a locker someplace in the ship who's got his finger on the button. I'm not kidding. And he gets the firing solution and he says, you know, uh, people who are in a different part of the ship are doing all the math and the and the trajectory calculations on where to aim the gun and we're moving this direction and this speed and we have to hit the target over there moving that speed. So, sends the firing solution down, they aim the cannon, they fire it remotely, and uh, it's, it's remarkably hard to do, and I can't believe that people manage to hit other things regularly. Um, so, uh, it's these little tiny details, though, that really make the difference when you're trying to aim through like a mirrored periscope type of thing and use traditional binocular optics or telescopic sights and everything like that when you have water that's constantly splashing up into the into the optics it's a tiny thing tiny you should have accounted for but right anyway the germans didn't have this problem so their shots were they're they are very accurate shooters it turns out um throughout this entire campaign so um i'm gonna read a quote here um, sorry, I'm going to read a quote here. Bismarck and Prince Eugen would be silhouetted against the sun's afterglow while Hood and Prince of Wales could approach rapidly, unseen in the darkness. This is the plan, at least. Um, Vice Admiral Holland's battle plan was to have Hood and Prince of Wales engage Bismarck while Suffolk and Norfolk engage Prince Eugen. Um, the Germans would not expect an attack from this quarter, giving the British the advantage of surprise, Hood opened fire at 5.52 at a distance of approximately 26,500 yards, um, and Holland ordered firing on the leading ship, Prince Eugen, believing from her position that she was on Bismarck, that, or that she was Bismarck. Uh, that the two ships had switched positions by this point, and so the, the British were initially firing at Prince Eugen, believing it was Bismarck. For some reason, though the ships were nearly identical, they were scared of Bismarck more, and they wanted to... They wanted to target Bismarck more because of what I guess she represented. Interesting. I, I I think if I was to judge, 
I'd say that would be why, because if you have two ships that are sister ships, mm -hmm. and they're identically armed, I mean, unless Bismarck was just a little bit better in some tangible way, and I, again, I've only done the bare minimum of research, by the way. Um, but if I were to say, you go after the propaganda victory more right you know you go after the one that has the name bismarck and well, the number of things that they did just to try and boost morale oh yeah overall else yes absolutely absolutely I, I i almost brought in the speech that hitler read when they launched the bismarck and then i realized i don't want to read a speech by adolf hitler <laughs> yeah, no. i don't want to do that anyway um so i what happened was that the wrong target took the fire at the at, at the onset, and which gave Bismarck just that split second more to aim. What ends up happening, to cut a very long story short, is the HMS Hood, which is a battle cruiser, and um, if you'll know, it, those familiar with the battle cruiser design, know that. They are glass cannons, to use a TV tropes term, which is that they're, they, they can dish out quite a pounding. They just can't take one because they sacrifice armor to try and gain a little bit of speed. Mm -hmm. And this idea was supposedly taught to the British at the Battle of Jutland, which, um, in which several British um, battle cruisers, thinly armored, they didn't put the protection where it needed to be over the magazines where the, all the ammunition was kept uh, their ships exploded like three of them just blew up you know not a moment's warning just like oh shit there's a fire boom there's a ship gone one shell one ship or in this case probably several and uh, apparently the explosion had uh, it launched this column of fire into the air 600 feet high which is pretty high. <laughs> that is an if you're a sailor just uh, sitting on, on the deck of your ship or like manning the guns or something like that, and you see that, that is an apocalyptic sight. Yeah. So the HMS Hood had this happen to it. Yep. Um, it hit the magazine. Um, multiple shots from both Bismarck and Prince Eugen hit the magazine, caused a fire. The entire thing went up. Um, about 1,600 crew members aboard Hood. Guess how many got out? Three. Three. Yep. And uh, yeah. there were 1,421 crew members. All but was, three of them died. Uh, it's just, I mean... Well, that's insane. And I think that's yeah. one of the problems, and maybe one of the reasons why we don't rely on naval warfare as much. Um, the You sink one ship, well, you've killed nearly 1,500 men. You know, <laughs> you, are, you are putting a lot of people you know in one place that has yeah. clearly many weaknesses and um you know you can always do better with armor and weaponry and yeah. um navigation so that you can protect yourself but the idea that you know in one day the britain can have the worst loss of life ever um from their navy or from a recent battle um it's, it's insane. It's mind-boggling that it, you would want to risk that again. Yeah. It, it, not to mention that these vessels were basically floating, small floating cities. I mean, they were in industries unto themselves, communities unto themselves, and that's like 
destroying city right there. Yeah. You know, at least, in, and, 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 and not to mention that you are taught to have tremendous pride in these marvels of engineering that your country has been able to produce. I mean, it is not easy to make a battleship. It is not easy to make any kind of navy work together. It takes, as I said at the beginning, tremendous resources to mm -hmm. do. And to have that gone in an instant, like, right. yeah, absolutely. I have a quote here um, from the uh, uh, from the captain uh, Ernst Lindemann. Um, he was uh, should I should I read this in the original German? Uh, he was asked for permission to open fire, and he responded, um, "Ich lasse mir doch nicht mein Schiff unter dem Arsch geschießen." Feuerlautnis, and which translates to "I'm not letting my ship get shot out from under my ass." Open fire. Yeah, that I damn. So HMS Hood explodes, and um, at this point, you have two super weapons up against heavy cruisers, smaller battleships. I mean, they, they just don't stand a chance against both the combined fire of Bismarck and Prince Eugen. Uh, so and yet, the Bismarck did not really escape this without a few bruises. No, it did not. It, it, it got a couple of hits, um, uh, a couple of through-and-through through hits, would basically, like, you know, a shell goes through the ship, yep. it doesn't explode. You had um, no hits to the magazine or anything, but you did have some... Um, uh, well, engines flooded. It ruptured one of the oil tanks. The oil tank, that's right. And it right. was leaking oil yeah. into the sea, um, basically for its the rest of its uh, short life. Yes. It, it, Talk about, like, you know, telltale wound happening, right? Which, again, this oil trail, you can track a ship that way, it turns out. Um, but it was ultimately uh, it was ultimately British spy planes that, uh, spy planes, reconnaissance aircraft that ended up uh, that ended up uh, seeking out and ultimately finding the the Bismarck. Now, what happened? What happened was that uh, the the Royal Navy had decided to bring in some aircraft carriers. Uh, first, I believe it was the uh, Victorious, and then later on the Ark Royal. Uh, now, the Ark Royal ended up launching the Swordfish bombers that ended up taking out the Bismarck. Now, to back up for a second. All of a sudden, you have ships that can carry aircraft, and these aircraft can spread out over a much wider distance than any one ship can. And all of a sudden, you can track down battleships and know where your enemy's navy is a lot easier. This is a new development. I mean, in the in the First World War, you had everybody worrying where each other's fleets were. You know, it's not until you just encountered them that you really knew where their ships were. You had it was called a fleet in being. In this war, however, you have aircraft already starting to make a difference. So, the Ark Royal uh, ends up sending out the sorties of torpedo planes. These were fairy swordfish, World War One era biplanes. <laughs> no, seriously, biplanes. I, I kid you not. It was rickety old, balsa wood fucking looking aircraft that ended up taking down the most expensive and glorious marvel of engineering that German battleship makers had ever produced. <laughs> By the way, I need to go into a small digression about how this 
incident actually that's coming up here served as inspiration for the Death Star in Star Wars because George Lucas stole everything from everybody. Anyway, <laughs> um, so what happened was that the torpedo planes found the Bismarck. Um, Bismarck shoots back. They end up scoring a couple of torpedo hits on the ship's rudder. So the rudder ends up being locked in about a 20-degree position. Um, at least one of the rudders. I think they got one of them working again, but one of them was still jammed. Somebody made the suggestion to uh, unjam the rudder using explosives, but that idea was shot down by the captain uh, because he thought that it would damage the screws, which they needed. It's either we cripple ourselves or we slow ourselves down, basically. You know, They decided that it's better to stay crippled for some reason, so it ended up just swim swimming. Um, it ended up just sailing in a gigantic circle. It, it's hard to believe that they didn't know that they were doomed at this point you know? oh I'm, I'm sure that they did you know uh there comes a point where i don't know i'm sure they knew exactly uh what was going on and yeah. how screwed they were i actually found an account of a soldier a british soldier who was stationed a on, sailor <laughs> well aren't they yeah, one's on the ground, one's like he's a he's a water soldier. Come on, <laughs> a water soldier. <laughs> um, <laughs> please uh, direct your mail to. No, I'm not that. Anyways, this sailor on the ship Rodney was watching the whole battle. He said that he was quite close. He was at um what he called point blank range of the of the Bismarck and um. Also, in the account that he gives, it explains that point-blank range means something different. It has to do with the distance of your weapons, mm -hmm. and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're so close that you're, you know, touching. touching yeah. um, however, he was at point-blank range, and he said that he was looking through his binoculars and saw um, one of the Bismarck's sailors uh, flashing Morse code yeah. on their lights. Well, what were they saying? they were trying to surrender and mm. that there was a uh, black flag that had been hoisted and that the ship was trying to surrender. What? So a black flag doesn't mean that they're about to send out their boarding parties with peg legs and scimitars? It has to have a skull <laughs> on it. It has to have a skull and ah, at least two crossbones. At least two. At least two. Middle. At least two. No, so um, now whether or not that's true, of course, it's hard to say. It was such a propaganda thing after the destruction of Hood for uh, the Bismarck to also be destroyed that were they trying to signal um, some sort of surrender, there's a chance that the brass may have just ignored it and said, no, it will do better for the war effort to, you know, destroy it. However, there's also the chance that perhaps they did, didn't happen and this one guy wanted to get famous after the war, but... I, I think it provides an interesting I mean, side story. Here's the thing. If it's true, uh, it's still not surprising the level of you know ferocity. that to, to provide some context, after the hood was destroyed, the British Navy basically sent everything they possibly could after yes. Bismarck. Yes, they Bismarck did. became public enemy number one in the eyes of the British Navy because the hood was their pride. The hood was... It was the last of the battle cruisers to be ordered in the 1920s. It was, the, the 1920s is when it came about. I mean, you'd think that they would have learned their lesson after Jutland, but they, for some reason, think, thought that 
more of these ships were worth keeping around, and the Hood was the best of them because it was known to have some fantastic armaments. I mean, I could... Yeah. Uh, not quite as big as the Bismarcks, but still, it was one of the best ships that they had, and it was a national symbol, you know? Right. It was the pride yeah, of the exactly. Navy. Exactly, and so... Uh, whether or not they did surrender, it would make sense for them to have ignored the order of yeah. surrender. On the other hand, it is kind of a war crime, so who knows? Uh, yeah. Well, um, <laughs> yeah. Also, fun fact, before they had attacked the Bismarck, um, the planes, the swordfish, had accidentally dropped a bomb on one of their own ships, the HMS Sheffield. The, the friendly fire in pursuit of this is how badly they want they were right. they were so trigger happy that they were going to bomb one of their own ships. Yep, they flew right into some storm clouds and uh, launched launched their explosives, hit the Sheffield, but none of the warheads detonated. So it wasn't a deadly disaster. It was just a major don't do this again that's right thank you for jogging my memory on that and the reason was that they were carrying um the on their munitions a, a experimental magnetic detonation device mm -hmm. that failed to work and because the technology failed right. to work their part, own... part of that thing that i love about world war ii is that the technology just got yeah. real weird oh man wait till you get to the vt fuse aircraft had a harder time after that but anyway um so this is, I think, five to seven to more than that number of British warships ended up taking down the Bismarck. Never did it actually reach its intended target. And in that respect, the hunt for the Bismarck was incredibly successful. Um, uh, yes, and uh, let's see, about 2,000 people died when the Bismarck sank. Um, there were a little over a hundred survivors that were picked up by the British to be taken home and uh, prisoners of war and yeah. interrogated, but over 2,000 Germans died. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and that's the thing. At least when a ship explodes, you have people, and this is going to be horrifying to even say, but vaporized. I mean, but it's instantaneous. You know, but when your ship goes down, when it sinks, you know, uh, or when it's scuttled, I mean, there's even speculation that the, or, 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 or some kind of claim that the ship was scuttled by its crew because they knew it was going to, uh, they knew that they weren't going to make it out of there alive. <laughs> um, you know, because I mean, Prince Eugen wasn't there. It had to be separated, I think, in, uh, due to bad weather. Um, yes. And I believe the other ship that was with them, um, the Luthien. Uh, Lynchian. Uh, no, no, Lynchian uh, is the uh, admiral aboard the uh, oh, Lynchians. Is, yes, right. uh, German admiral von Fuckface. I can't be bothered to look <laughs> up his first name. Yes, that was. Uh, well, his ship um, ended up having to go for repairs. It uh, went and ported in France. Ah. Um, but because everyone was so after the Bismarck, everyone else got away. Because literally the entire active British Navy in the area at the time went after that one ship. Again, you go after the propaganda target, it takes one of your propaganda, you know, in, in equivalent national piece, you know? And then... Oigan, sorry. I, I keep forgetting the names of these ships because they're so weird good. that they just don't register in my head and how they look on paper does not look... <laughs> 
uh, like how they should be said. Thank you, German, for your pronunciation. <laughs> Anyways, it's the Eugen who... It's, it's, it's all right. Work. Everybody involved at that time was a Nazi, so I don't think anybody's going to begrudge <laughs> you mispronouncing their names yeah, whatsoever. Yeah, still names. Yeah, that's, that, that, that is true. <laughs> I am the worst. I will admit that I am the worst. Uh, anyway, but so there, there you have Bismarck, and it's just... First off, you have how cheap is a torpedo compared to compared to a battleship? I've never had to buy like, one. I, I think the Bismarck costs somewhere around um, one point five billion in today's money. I, I, I could be completely off on that number, but it hey, was, you know what? <laughs> if you but if you adjust it for inflation, if you adjust it for inflation, I mean, unbelievable national assets these things were, and people were placing a lot of hope. That this thing was gonna be, you know, the savior of Germany at sea, and you were gonna, you were gonna, um, go ahead and sweep away this British navy, which had always been the greatest sea power on the planet. And the Germans knew it. You know, they couldn't. Uh, do you have the actual figure? Uh, I do not, because okay. the money system from back then is different from the money system they use now. So we don't have an exchange rate. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it actually takes research. I'm not doing this now. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. But no, I mean, think of the cost benefit analysis on that because oh, you yeah. have no, one I, torpedo, yes. one plane, one torpedo, or in this case, several ended up actually sinking the Bismarck. But you have with that one torpedo that cripples it and allows everybody to kill. And the so Bismarck. why have why have a Bismarck at all? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you can have planes that can drop these bombs. Heck, when you have planes that can drop these bombs in areas the ships can't go, because yeah. once you're too far away from the coast, your navy is useless. Um, you know, except for the infantry and or planes that it holds. So why have a uh, offensive navy at all? Why not just have aircraft carriers? Um, you know, uh, ships that can just carry men and supplies, men and women and supplies. Exactly. You know, why have these Bismarcks? Because, I don't know, because I, people were very old-fashioned back then, you well, know? Well, yeah, but I, I think the plane has killed the ship. I just, yeah. I feel... Oh, it was very much so. Now, because we have that plane, why do we need these ships? We've got the answer. I think I, I think I was talking with you once, and I compared it to how the archers supplanted the knights, you know? Because all of a sudden you have tons of archers, tons of cheap arrow shafts that have these bodkin arrow points that are armor-piercing. Something and that anyone can be trained to do, and not everyone can afford steel. Indeed. I mean, but, you know, Agincourt taught people that, you know, under withering arrow fire, armored knights might not be able to stand up. Mm-hmm. You know, and that all that training and that pride, and it, it goes down cheaply. Yep. You know? So, the great tragedy... Of Bismarck, and as we're going to see, Yamato, is that they were obsolete before they were finished. You know? Because Jutland was the only time where you had battleships face off against battleships. Really. On an actual huge, um, as they were intended, scale. That's the only time that ever happened. Mm. Afterwards, the battleship ended up being a support role for the aircraft carriers once they got made. I mean... You can easily point to one of the reasons that, you know, Germany lost the war at sea is because they didn't see fit to build any aircraft carriers. Mm. I mean, they they had they were ace on their U-boat game, let's be sure, but they, they 
didn't see the importance of these things. Well, and you have to remember that they were fighting the uh, the British, and the British had the best navy for quite a while. I mean, that's yeah. kind of the thing that they do is their navy, so it's a little bit hard to get a foothold in the ocean when your greatest enemy is already better at it than you. Even more ironic is that when the Germans were looking at invading England and, you know, they tried to dominate the skies over England with the Luftwaffe in the Battle of Britain, you know, this is this is bit just before this time. The Battle of Britain wraps up just at the beginning of 1941. Bismarck is taken down in May. But, you know, Great Britain claimed air superiority, so that door's closed. The Germans try at sea, that door's closed. I mean, they've invaded the Soviet Union, so they know that somebody should have known at least that they were going to be defeated at some point on land, so that door's closed too. It's it's just, I mean, I can't feel bad for them because they're Nazis, but, like, you really should have known better. Right. You know, you really should have known or at least had some kind of foresight to know that, oh, wait, we're putting all the, our resources into this weapon system that isn't going to be effective anymore because this newer, cheaper, better, more flexible weapon system comes in, mm-hmm. comes out, you know? How many different kind of planes can you put on an aircraft carrier? You can put reconnaissance planes, transport planes, attack planes. Well, okay, but on the other hand, by the time an aircraft carrier starts to look like a good idea, they were at a point in the war where they're not really going to be making huge projects like that. Wasn't that a little bit later in the war that aircraft carriers started showing up? Not on the German side. As far as I know, they never they never managed to field a significant aircraft carrier. I think they had plans for one called the Graf Zeppelin. but Not, um, not Germans. In general. Oh, in general. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, just because, again, it takes a long time to build these things. By the time you can get them into service and by the time you realize how important the plane is, you want to Get it out there as much as you possibly can. Right. Well, and um, I mean, I, I wouldn't fault the I would fault the Germans for a lot of things at this time. <laughs> yeah. I would not fault the Germans for not having a foresight to um, build up their uh, build up their air force over the ocean because they weren't fighting anywhere where they needed to cover that sort of distance. True. They they could attack everywhere from. Germany. They could attack the United Kingdom from Germany. They didn't need to have their plane sitting on a boat out in the ocean. Yeah. They could get mm. there from the absolute comfort and safety of Germany. Uh, you know, most of their war was fought uh, relatively landlocked. I mean, obviously there was the African theater and the Middle Eastern theater, but um, even that might not be as well serviced by an aircraft carrier in the Mediterranean than it would have been by just a nice airfield in this section that you know is going to be owned by you for a while. Um, you know, and I... So it's probably more of a long-term aspiration for them. Like, we'll get around to the aircraft carriers at some point, once we got this world domination thing going, and be. we're going to be... But when you're, you know, when you're the United States fighting in a couple of different areas, mm, an aircraft yeah. carrier looks like a good idea. When you are Britain, you know, wanting to send planes to France or Africa or the Middle East, uh, suddenly an aircraft carrier looks like a good idea because you don't have, you don't really have a good France yeah. to have an air base. And as it turns out, the aircraft carriers are great weapons in taking out battleships, as it turns out, you yeah. know? 
So, so I'm just yeah. saying, like, uh, definitely, I think that the plane killed the ship in a way. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the Bismarck kind of was just a very good indication of what was going to be happening. Yeah. But uh, there wasn't much else that you could do at the time. You know, ships were what people did. And if you want to beat the UK, yeah. the only way you're going to beat them is by getting rid of their navy. So, <laughs> And turns out you can't because they had that navy backed up by some awesome intelligence, too, as yep. it turns out. So, Ambition. you know, kudos <laughs> kudos to the Royal Navy because they nipped this problem in the bud. Absolutely. The, the Bis- Imagine what would have happened if the Bismarck had been able to be put to full use, backed up by an actual you yeah. know, escort group. Instead, we've got 10 days from launch to the yeah. bottom of the ocean. Yeah, I mean, it, it, near as much, right? So, um, uh, thank you very much for... This, is, this has been part one um, of what I'm calling a tale of two ships. Uh, <laughs> I know I'm 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 witty literature reference. Uh, so this has been part one. Uh, the my main source of information has been a book called The Destruction of the Bismarck by David J. Berkison and Holger Hervig. Um, let me short review. This is a very dense book. Um, it's good, great though. It's good, so good. It is very much. Um, and thank you to the Seattle Public Library. For that, uh, it's it's very dense in terms of its naval terminology, and you just need to have the terms, the nautical terms, down if you're going to understand any of this. But they've recreated basically the entire encounter, uh, any every single encounter that Bismarck was in, because it kept a log. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It, anyway, um, so please check that out and uh, wait for our. Uh, please wait patiently. We really appreciate that for our part two which is going to be all about the yamato and how that went down which i am interested in because that was it's gonna be a great one it's just there's a treat coming yeah the yamato's legendary thank you very much everybody uh please be well to yourselves and each other and uh yeah keep on fighting oh and and by the way one more thing the cost in today's dollar according to these uh money calculators i found yeah. would be what's your guess i, I guess like 1.5 billion 1.9 trillion jesus christ <laughs> oh fuck oh oh yeah germans you done fucked up all right have a good day all right take care everybody thanks for listening now go forth and conquer